Let's pray together, church. Father, it is our time to dig into the word. And we know that without your spirit, it is pointless and fruitless. So our Father, we ask, open our eyes by the power of your spirit. Do a spiritual work in us as we study your word. We are nothing. We can do nothing without the spirit of Christ in us. So, Lord, accomplish your work. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Some of you have young children, maybe even a baby. I've got good news. Sleep will come. But that baby will transition into a toddler. And that may or may not be good news. Because then your house will become a wreck. But I've got good news. That toddler will transition to a child, a young boy, a young girl, which may or may not be good news. But then that child will transition into a teenager. And that's good news. Right? <laughs> that teenager will transition into a young adult at some point. And that young adult will transition into an adult, into an older adult, into a senior adult, and with prayer and in great hope, into a citizen of the kingdom. I was reminded of this last night. I was talking to my wife on the way to the wedding last night for Peyton and Holland. And as I reflected upon the great transition that would take place in both Peyton and Holland's life as they get married, they begin to be, to be accountable to one another in ways that they never were. They're under the authority of each other now in in ways that they never have been before. And they transition to living together in a way that has never happened for them. There's transitions that happen and their world is going to change. And they are excited about it. And so am I. Transitions happen all the time in our lives. and, And we need to be aware of transitions regularly happening. In fact, tomorrow we celebrate, or tonight, for some of you, tonight at midnight, you'll celebrate that transition. For some of you, it will be tomorrow into a new year. When we look at the scripture, there is a distinct transition that I don't know if you've seen before. But it is from the the old covenant way into a new covenant way. And when I say it like that, some of you may say, well, okay, what's the big deal with that? Or why is that important? As we read through today, I want you to keep your eye on the Lord establishing a clear distinction between old way and new way. And and here's the application. I'm going to give it to you. And then and I'll reinstate it at the end. The, the, the application is this. If you are still living in the old way, 
governed by the old desires, the old flesh, the old man or woman, then you need to reevaluate what's going on with you spiritually. Peyton, who got married yesterday, if you remember, just some months ago, was baptized here, recognizing there were different, that he was a different man, and he needed to live a different life before he moved into marriage. And, and how did the Apostle Paul say it? He said, you are raised to walk in what? Help me out. Newness of life. I say it every time. I'm proud of you guys. You are raised to walk in newness of life. One other transition that may take place for you is if you've been reading through the Bible with us, you will finish today. I talked to Eli about it this morning. We're going to finish today, brother. We're excited about that. Accomplishing a milestone. Uh, I have a, an image up here that I think Craig's going to be able to show us, I think. Uh, that, that shows what we've been walking through all year. And it has to do with uh, creation, to fall, and this is a story of the Bible, to redemption and the redemptive plan being, being planned and formulated. And then it's executed when Jesus comes and arrives. And, and then he dies on the cross, is buried, and rises from the grave. That's redemption. And then it is living in the kingdom. Now, now, those last two, they overlap some because Jesus, when he came, he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But we now, living in front of that redemption, we are kingdom living. The kingdom of God, we, we are now, our allegiance is to, and we don't have our flags up, but the allegiance is to the Christian flag, primarily. Way before the American flag is our Christian allegiance. All right. If you have your Bible, I'm going to invite you to open up to the book of Revelation. We're going to begin in the first verse. This is the last book. And one of the main points today is this. The book of Revelation is a book of transition. And in many ways, this book shows us a clear-cut transition from the old to the new. From the old covenant ways to the new covenant reality. And that there is going to be a clear-cut transition that is future to the writer and is going to show us that, that, there is, that God is now moving in a different way than He was. Now, let me give you some, some background to, to allow you to understand what's going on here. If we back up to the, the life of Jesus Christ, and we even do it in our passion play here every year, there is a scene where, where we are reenacting the scripture where the people in the crowd are saying, we have no king but what? But Caesar, you remember that, right? We have no king but Caesar. It is a people that are stirred up by the religious leaders to reject Jesus Christ on the whole. In fact, Steve, you, you say it, but we hear it. And he says, may his blood be on what? Us and our children. 
May his blood be on us and our children. May the guilt against him be on us and our children. And I'm going to tell you, that is literally fulfilled in what we will read today. God pours out his judgment upon us and us's children. And we read about it today. The book of Revelation most clearly shows us about God's destruction on the city of Jerusalem in AD 70 to fulfill those very two things. They had no king but Caesar, and his blood will be on us and our children. Now, some of you may be going, wait, wait, but Revelation's a future thing, right? Some people think so, yes. But I'm going to share with you what I think is, is very clear is this is a book about the destruction of Jerusalem and a transition into a new phase of Christian reality. And you say, well, I've, I haven't heard it put that way before, and, and that's because it's not the most popular view. But I can tell you that the early church fathers such as Eusebius, that the reformers and Puritans such as Matthew Henry, John Owen, John Chrysostom, John Calvin, and even current contemporaries like Ken Gentry and R.C. Sproul, they all have this view. So it's not a crazy view. It's just probably one different thing you've heard. And I'd like to show you why this is so true and relevant. And some of you may say, well, why does it matter? And I'm going to say this. Many people miss the entire point of the book of Revelation by framing it way out in our future rather than to seeing it as a fulfilled prophecy, just like we see Jeremiah, Isaiah, or the book of Daniel. And let me tell you why it's important, because what this does is it shows us that there is a, a true break from old covenant into new covenant reality and the way that we need to live. Now, let me give you a, an illustration. Most of y'all have seen The Wizard of Oz, right? Anybody? Anybody not seen The Wizard of Oz? All right. If you've seen The Wizard of Oz, you don't walk away after watching The Wizard of Oz and go, man, I, I think I'm going to see some flying monkeys and some walking scarecrows and some walking tin cans. You realize that those are images portraying something or green women flying on a broom. We don't think that that's real. Those are images to invoke into us ideas that we understand for what they are. The book of Revelation in much of uh, many ways is like this. It gives us images that we take away and we go, oh, okay. I've read the Old Testament, so I know what he's talking about here when he talks about four horsemen. Because that was mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And it had a specific purpose, and that's what John is leading us to. Now, again, for, for some of those who are going, look, this is brand new to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Let me give you just a little bit of, of credence to the timing of Revelation. In fact, I'd like to do it by reading some verses. Revelation 1.1 says this. Are you all with me? If this is new to you, don't panic. Just listen and, and hear it for what it is. Watch this. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show him, to show to his servants the things that must what? Are y'all reading with me? The things that must what? Soon. Y'all see it there. That must soon take place. In fact, throughout the book of Revelation, 
No less than six times does John say that I or Jesus say I am coming soon. These things must soon take place. Now, some scholars have the book written way late. Some scholars have the book written early. Uh, I believe through good evidence, and there's, there are books to back it up, that this book was written probably around 68 A.D. And guess when Jerusalem fell? A.D. 70. Two years. Now, if no less than six other times, seven times, that Jesus or John say that this is going to happen soon, do we really think that soon is over 2,000 years from the writing of this book. I'll let you decide that for yourself. <clears throat> Some will say, uh, you know, Peter says in his epistle, though, that, that one day is this as a thousand years to God. So, yeah, it could be. And I would respond to that and say, that's true he says that, but the context of what he's talking about is, is God's patience. What, what Revelation is doing is giving a timeline of when these things are going to be. And if he meant talking to people, this is going to be thousands of years, he wouldn't speak in God's way of understanding time. He would speak in the people's way of understanding time. Those same folks will also say that Revelation 20's 1,000 years are literally 1,000 years, but soon isn't literally soon. So we have to be careful. One other thing that, I, that I'll show to save just for timing before we jump into this is this. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 10, it's coming up here. It says this. The command is given to John. Do not seal up the words of this prophecy of this book. For the time is what? That's number eight. And there, there are time of timing soon, near. I didn't even count this one. He says, do not do what? Do not seal it up, all right? If you go back to Daniel, Daniel specifically says to seal up the words of these prophecies because it won't happen anytime soon. The time is not near, is what Daniel says. Now, let me give you a little bit of timing. Anybody know when the book of Daniel was written? Any idea? How many years before Christ was Daniel written? 600 years. 600 years. Seal it up. It's going to be not soon. 600 years. John writes, Jesus tells him, don't seal it up because it's coming soon. Anybody know how many years from when John wrote this to when we are? About 2,000 years. So if something's going to be sealed up because it's not coming soon is 600. Should we then consider that 2,000 years, let's not seal it up because it's going to be soon. It doesn't fit the biblical context. All right. There, there's more evidence, but I want to get to the point of this, and that is this. The destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70 was a message, a clear message from God. Now, many of you are familiar with reading Isaiah or Jeremiah. Many of us have read through those books this year, and they are about how Israel has gone astray. And the Lord has brought Babylon or the Assyrians to bring judgment upon the nation of Israel and even bring them out as captives so that they were not even a part of the land of Israel or in Jerusalem at all. They were brought out of the city. What I am sharing with you is this. This destruction of 
of Jerusalem in AD 70 by the Romans was another iteration of God's judgment upon his people. But it was such a complete destruction and judgment against the people. He put the, the blood of Jesus on their, their heads and the heads of their children. So as the temple has never been rebuilt and still isn't today. God is sending a clear message that it is not about a temple. It is not about a system. It is not about a priesthood. It is not about a sacrifice. So that even today, they can't rebuild the temple. Because Jesus is what matters. And to a people seeking for salvation outside of Jesus Christ, they are seeking a false Salvation and a false God. Now, how does that fit in with even today, you might say? Look, there are people in Israel that need Jesus. And the church of God needs to be more about, hey, you need salvation in Jesus than anything else to the people of Israel. They are a lost people that need a savior. Our posture to them is, yeah, we'll, we'll help you in your humanitarian efforts. We care about you. You're you made in God's image. We love you. But you need Jesus. And if Christians aren't bringing them Jesus, we're missing the boat. Watch what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. Like I said, this is a transition from, from Moses' law to the law of Christ. Or the law of grace. And Paul says it like this. Now Hagar in Mount Sinai is Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. He says specifically. Paul in his day says. Jerusalem is in slavery. They are in bondage to something that's not true. But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. The Jerusalem above was what we will see. Coming down later in the book of Revelation is the true city of God. The one sitting on that mountain in Israel right now is not the true Jerusalem. And that's what the end of the book is all about. And if we don't see this, then we miss the whole point. Some commentators have the, the, the book of Revelation labeled as this, and I think it's a, a great subtitle to this book. And it's called this, A Tale of Two Cities. And if you remember, Charles Dickens wrote a book, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. You may remember that book. That was about the French Revolution, if I remember correctly. This is about two different cities. One is the city of Jerusalem below, and one is about the city of Jerusalem above. And what we'll find out in this book is this is a God's new covenant transition from one Jerusalem to another. And it is a moving away from a Jerusalem that once where his temple was, where worship took place, that is being transitioned out and a new Jerusalem, a new people of God are being installed. I'll give you some evidence of that. My first thought, point is this, Jerusalem becomes the new Babylon. And you'll see what John does is he paints the current Jerusalem in, in A.D. 68 as a Babylon. 
And if you know about Babylon in the Bible, if you've read through it with us, Babylon is, is the bad guy. It's the one who's turned away and done their own thing. They're the, always the bully on the block. And if you think about it, if you've read the book of Acts, we're studying Acts in my Sunday school class. You're welcome to join us. We're looking through Paul's second missionary journey right now. And all throughout the missionary journeys, even from Acts chapter uh, 7, when, when Stephen is martyred, do y'all know who killed Stephen? Who was it? It was the leaders in Jerusalem that did it. It wasn't just Jesus they killed. It was, and, and it says they were ravaging the early church. It was persecution because the old Jerusalem had turned so vehemently against God that they have become now the new Egypt, the new Babylon, the new Sodom. In fact, those aren't my words. Those are John's words. Look in Revelation eleven eight. This is speaking of the, the two witnesses, the law and the prophets that come, the, that come and speak the truth. You have the law, you have the prophets. Two witnesses come. Their dead bodies will lie in the streets of the great city that is symbolically called, help me out church, what are they? It's called what? Sodom and two wicked cities against God. And I'm saying that's Jerusalem. Why am I saying that? Because I finished the verse and it says where their Lord was crucified. Where was Jesus crucified? What city? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, old Jerusalem has become Sodom and Egypt. Let's look at another passage. Revelation 17, beginning of verse 1. Y'all still with me? Y'all with me? Y'all mad at me yet? All right. I hope you're, you're enjoying this. This is so enlightening. Then one of the seven angels, who it's the seven bowls, came and said to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. Now, he's also calling Jerusalem the great prostitute. Again, think Wizard of Oz. These are images meant to convey things to us that are true. He's calling Jerusalem now a great harlot, a great prostitute who is seated on many waters. With whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality. And with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have, come, have become drunk. Now this is not new. If you've read Ezekiel or if you've read Hosea. You see this exact image already used about Israel. Of being the harlot, playing the harlot. He's got a whole chapter in Ezekiel. I think it's 16. <laughs> We talked about this. Verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit to a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast. So now you have a woman sitting on a beast. Now I'll go ahead and fill you in this beast. It gives the number of the beast, which is 666. Not 666. 666. And when you study that, you'll see that that very clearly talks about Nero Caesar. It's very, very clear. That was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. So this is talking about Rome. A.D. 68, they're in the Roman Empire, and now the scarlet has become one with Rome. Let me say, that didn't make sense. Well, does it? Because who killed Jesus? By what way was Jesus killed? Who did it, the Jews or the Romans? Yes, is the answer. 
right? It was a Roman crucifixion. Pilate, where are you? Pilate, who, who called for the execution because of the high priests and the people that said what we talked about earlier. It was a cooperation of Rome and the Jewish leaders, all right? So you have this prostitute, this woman, this explicit woman sitting on the scarlet beast, which, of course, you know when we have our thing, what's the color of Rome? Scarlet. Oh, that makes sense. On the scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. If you study history, Rome is a city on seven hills with ten provinces, seven heads, ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet. Purple and scarlet. Purple and scarlet. Where do we know that from? Purple and scarlet were the colors that who wore? The high priest wore. Symbolizing this is the the religious leadership. We're arrayed in purple and scarlet. And adorned with gold and jewels and pearls. Lavishly adorned. Holding in her hand a cup full of abominations. Living in godlessness, rejecting the very face of God when he came upon them, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name. Now, you remember the high priest, right? What, what did he have on his forehead? What did it say? Holy to the Lord. Holy to the Lord. That's what the high priest is supposed to have on their head. Look in John's story. What's on the forehead written here? Babylon the great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. Unholy to the Lord. Everything unholy that you can think about plastered on her head. And I saw the woman drunk with, with what? Help me out. Drunk with what? The blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Now, don't you think that John, the last living apostle who has witnessed 40 years of persecution from Jewish leadership against his brothers and sisters. They watched James beheaded because it pleased the Jewish leaders. James, his brother, killed, martyred for his faith. His friend, Stephen, among many others, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. Soon, he says, Vindication is coming soon. There's a scene in, in Revelation where, where the, the martyrs are gathered around the throne of God. Do you remember that? And they're saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us? How long? They're crying out for vengeance. And then we get to read chapter 18, verse 10. This is judge. God brings finally his judgment upon Babylon, upon Jerusalem. It says they will stand far off in fear of torment and they will say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. If you read the ancient or the historic historian 
Josephus, he, he vividly describes this destruction of this temple and the destruction of the mountain of Jerusalem. It is astonishing to hear of the tragedy that goes on in this city. Mothers doing things that you can't imagine to their own children. People doing things that you can't imagine to each other. They're starving to death. It fulfills all of the, the four horsemen. They're, they're killing each other. There's a desolation. And say, Pastor Keith, why are you talking about this? Let me share with you my heart in this. If you study what history and how the Lord has brought a violent judgment upon those who oppose his son. It's terrifying. I can remember when we watched The Wizard of Oz years ago and Nate he just, he did not like the Wicked Witch. And he was little. He was scared of the Wicked Witch. Didn't like it. I read Josephus and I am terrified. Not of a woman in green and black, but of a holy and vengeful God. Watching his wrath being poured out on those who killed his son. On those and their children who killed his son. Even today, if you're in this room or watching online, the wrath of God, the Bible says, is on all of those who are not in Christ. And this city of Jerusalem is a picture, a bigger picture. Of all of humanity in many ways. And those who, who reject Jesus Christ the Lord. And reject entrusting themselves to him. Confessing their sin and saying Jesus I am going to follow you. I want you to be afraid today. Not for my sake. For yours. Go and read Josephus. It is horrible. And that is nothing. Compared to the eternal judgment that the Lord will pour out on those who are not in Christ. I continue in, in chapter 18. They threw dust on their heads. They wept. They mourned, crying out, alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships of the sea grew rich by their wealth. For in a single hour, she has been laid waste. The imagery here is you have, you have been godless for a season, and in a moment, his judgment comes. In a moment, God's wrath can be poured out upon any who are not Christ. Verse 20, rejoice over her, O heaven. Rejoice, O heaven. He calls for rejoicing that judgment is being played out. Rejoice over her, O heaven. And your saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. 
when a mighty angel, then a mighty angel took like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. And we're going to see how this ties in with the mountain motif here in Revelation and, and in the Gospels. So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be no more. The city that rose up in their religious and political power against Jesus Christ, the Lord, the very embodiment of who God is, is getting retribution. How do we know it's Jerusalem? Let me give you one more. In Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 21, it speaks of four judgments and following. It speaks of four judgments specifically against Jerusalem. You see it here. For thus says the Lord God, how much more when I send upon Jerusalem my four disastrous acts of judgment, sword, famine, wild beast, pestilence, to cut off from man and beast. You'll see that the four horsemen show up in Revelation. Sword, famine, wild beast, and death. And they've come to the land again. And what is the capital of that land? It is certainly Jerusalem. Now, this is not all gloom and doom. Because Revelation is not all gloom and doom. But it is much gloom and doom. But there is hope. And I want to get to the hope. And the hope is this when we get to chapter 21, which I read this morning. There's so much more. I'm, I'm going to have to leave so much out of what I've prepared for today. But let's look at chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Now, you can study new heaven and new earth. You'll see this is, when we see covenants being made and new covenants and old covenants, that's what this is, is talking about. And yes, I believe that God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's going to restore the earth. That's just not what this is particularly talking about. This is talking about the transition from an old way to a new way. And look what he says here. You'll see it. It's clear once you read it. For the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw an, uh, the holy city. What does he see? What city? Oh, there it is. And I saw the holy city. What is it? What city? New Jerusalem. Remember, we read about that earlier. There's a new one. Paul talked about it. Now John talks about it. A new one that will be coming down. It's the real one. It's the forever Jerusalem. I saw the new Jerusalem coming down of heaven, out of heaven, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, I, I had to go talk to Holland before the wedding yesterday and uh, to get the paperwork done. And she was in the parlor getting ready. And I said, may I see Holland? And so she walked out dressed as a bride. And it was just oh, so beautiful, ready to go, beaming. With a smile, and all I could do was give her a big hug. It was a beautiful moment. And this, that, that's this. You know, at the wedding yesterday, they, they close the doors after all the, the people go down the aisle, and then it's time for the bride to come. And those doors sweep open again, and the sun is shining in behind her, and you see this glowing bride. I think Eric was with her, but all I could see was the bride. The new Jerusalem came down from heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. A beautifully new bride for the husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, 
The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Do y'all know the Old Testament punishment for adultery? Anybody know it? According to Moses' law, what was it? A stoning, right? Y'all know that. Is it any wonder that one of the judgments that are poured out against Jerusalem is giant millstones falling from the sky? It's a symbolic stoning to prepare the new bride for Christ. And now we see her coming down from heaven. The dwelling place of God is now with man. This is the new covenant. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. Jeremiah 31, 31 talks about him pouring out his spirit. And him being in their hearts. This is the new covenant. This is the beauty of God with his people forever and ever dwelling with them in a new way, not according to the letter of the law, but by his spirit. Let me continue. Revelation 21 verse 9 says this. Then came one of the seven angels who had seven bowls of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, watch this. I will show you what? This is important. I will show you what? Oh, I'm sorry, Craig. I jumped ahead. It's Revelation 21, verse 9. Come and I will show you the what? The second to last line up here. I will show you the what? The bride. Remember that. I will show you the bride. Who is the bride of Christ? The church, right? Right? Okay. I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We know that he's the bride of Christ as a church. Ephesians 5 tells us that, among other places. So then we go to verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. I'm not going to get to the mountain today. He carried away to a high mountain and showed me. What, what did he show him? What's he going to show him? The, the what? The bride of Christ. And what does he show the spirit show him? He shows him the holy city of Jerusalem. The old one? The new one. The new one. What is the bride of Christ now? It's the new Jerusalem, the holy city coming down out of heaven from God. So who, what is the new Jerusalem? Church, look around. You're looking at the new Jerusalem. It's you. It's me. It's the city of God. You can read Augustine. He talks about the city of God. It's me and you. It is a transition from the old covenant to the new covenant people of God. This is beautiful. This is a clear cut transition from an old marriage to a new. From an old covenant to a new. You church are the bride of Christ. And what does he say? Watch this. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The spirit and the bride say come. This is the invitation. Church, we are the bride. The spirit and the bride say come. And let the one who hears come. Let the one who's thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. That is our message now. As the bride of Christ, we are inviting others into the kingdom of God. Into the new bride. Into the new Jerusalem. So what's our application today? 
Come. Say it with me. Come. That is our job, church. We are the bride of Christ. We are the new Jerusalem. We are now married to our Savior. We are under his submission. We are living under his guidance and protection and his wing. We are the bride of Christ. And our job is to say, come. Come be part of the bride of Christ. Come be in Christ. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Come, forsake Babylon, forsake the world. Come, come to Jesus. He is crucified, was buried, and rose again. Come. Y'all, I have so much more to say. I I wish I could say it. I'm out of time. Let me close with this thought, though. This this one passage of Scripture. I read it last week. This all ties in with what Jesus taught in his Gospels. All of it. Revelation 20, you get to this passage. So much here. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus says this. If it is by the finger, I'm at the very end, uh, Craig. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger, when a stronger man then attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he's trusted and he divides the spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. This is what Jesus has called us to do. Jesus is the stronger man. He is plundering the house of Satan. He is plundering the house of the powers of evil. And church, it is our job to say, come, come, be a part of the kingdom of God. And church, may we never tire of saying, come. And may we never look at a sinner who's too far sinful to not say, come, come, come hear the word of Jesus. Repent of your sin and be part of the kingdom. Come, we're the bride of Christ. Come be a part of the bride of Christ. Because our man is stronger. Jesus Christ is victorious. And that is what the end of the Bible is about. Jesus wins. And church, we're the bride. We say, come. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're grateful for your word. How it establishes for us this transition into being your bride. God, we love you. Help us to be a faithful bride who faithfully pours out the message of come to those around us. Lord, may they come and drink. May they come and feast. And may we as well find our greatest delight in drinking the waters of life and feasting on the bread of life. Oh, God, help us as well to come. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.